0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: all right securing bridges fans here we are once again thanks for joining us another episode of well hopefully your favorite show my favorite show i'm i'm biased you know so good to see you all out there i hope you're ready for yet another wonderful guest we are into february we're cruising along here how's your month going so far we're having fun here and like i said we've got another great guest today i'm really excited for this one i cannot even believe that I get this opportunity to have this next person on our show, but he's here. He's with us. Everybody say hi. It's Jerry Bell. Hey, Jerry, how are you?
2: I'm doing fantastic, Alyssa. How are you doing?
1: I am doing wonderful. It is uh, very good to see you. And as I said, I'm uh, quite honored to have you on the show. It's uh, It's been a while in coming um, from my perspective, working through like my my wish list of guests I wanted to have on there, but you were on there too, so. Um, But for those out there in our viewing land who maybe don't know you, go ahead and uh, just introduce yourself. Tell us a little about yourself.
2: Sure, so gosh, where to start? Um, Currently, I am the CISO for IBM's cloud business, which keeps me pretty busy. Uh, For about the past 12 years, I've run a, a little podcast called Defensive Security with a good friend of mine, uh, Andy Callett. Um Most recently, my uh, my claim to fame has been a Mastodon instance called Infosec.exchange, okay. which has uh, <laughs> been where a lot of the the uh, the security community has has rehomed post uh, Elon Musk apocalypse on on Twitter.
1: <laughs> the Elon Musk apocalypse. I—that's probably the best description I've heard of it yet. Um, yes, you know Mastodon has become the refuge for many of us, and many of us have found our way to that instance. Certainly, you know that's—I'm there, as people know, and uh, it's been a great place. So but you also said so. let's start at the beginning now you mentioned ibm and you know so CISO for ibm cloud what does that actually like mean what does that entail because i you know i think people kind of wonder sometimes when you're like the CISO of a product that's a little you know i have some ideas but share with us if you wouldn't mind
2: yeah sure sure so um ibm has a public cloud um, so similar to what you might find at AWS or Azure or, or Google, it's um, it's obviously smaller, um, and it, it derived from some acquisitions IBM made about ten years ago. And um, it, it's it is while it is a commodity cloud, so for you know it, it does compete directly with uh, with those other providers. It's it's really. Um, focusing on our niche customers, IBM's niche customers, which are the you know the really large uh, complex multinationals with uh, you know high regulatory expectations and and whatnot. so um in, in terms of what my role is, I am responsible for for defining the security uh, strategy and policy making sure that we are um, you know offering our our customers a, a secure place to run their workloads.
1: okay, all right. so, Definitely more of like, I don't know how to put this, but like an internal role of like you're responsible for the security of that cloud environment. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's right. So do you like then, does that put you in a position too where you're talking to like customers and stuff and, and their security teams or anything like that as far as either A, trying to justify your security strategy within that cloud environment or be helping them understand how to you know kind of where I guess those that separate or that uh, you know that shared responsibility line falls and who's responsible for what
2: yeah it's it's primarily the latter um, you know uh, again, a lot of our customers tend to be more sophisticated right we we um you know we see a lot of a lot of banks, a lot of you uh, know large large sophisticated companies who are you know perhaps more conservative. Than like a you know somebody that was born on the cloud, and and so uh, you know one of the things we have to do in those instances is you know obviously convince the, those customers that you know we have a, a a responsible security program in place, and and similarly by the way we have to have those same sorts of discussions with regulators.
1: Sure. Yeah. I, well, you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned a lots of regulated customers and banks. So that right away to me screams, you know, having come from financial services many years myself, I, we start talking financial services and yeah, the, the regulatory side of it definitely, you know, starts to show up. But you said something that was kind of interesting there that kind of, it sparked a thought for me. You mentioned that these are, you know, more of your conservative type organizations they're ones that aren't necessarily cloud native organization or you know infrastructure that sort of thing like they they weren't born in the cloud I think is how you put it um do you find that like the, the people you're talking to are they are they like set on like a cloud transformation journey as some would say or is it more that they're just they're just sort of kind of more organically growing into it
2: I I think it's the more the former. So, you know, a lot of a lot of organizations around the world right now are, um, are are for a variety of reasons, um, trying to take advantage of cloud. And so, you know, it's it, by the way, it's not a situation where we don't have, you know, born on the cloud companies coming to to our cloud, it's, it's more that, you know, that they tend to be more comfortable and less, less, uh, less resistant to it, so to speak. Um, But you know, for the for the larger companies, you know, there there is a, a recognition of the um, you know the business advantage that you have from moving from a traditional on-prem data center to the cloud, and and so um, I, I think a lot of these customers you know, see the writing on the wall, and um, they're trying to participate in modern the modern economy, and uh, and and see the need to to make those sorts of moves.
1: Okay. And that makes sense. I mean it's because I've seen both organizations that well, I guess there's kind of three, right? There's those, you know, again that you're you're working with who just you know, that that's where they started. They started with cloud tech, that's where they've they've you know begun their lives. Everything they're doing is cloud native, they've they've learned that ecosystem, they've built into well. You've got those who make a very specific focus transition to cloud, that cloud transformation story, and then you've got kind of those who you know, sort of find their way there maybe because their business sort of drives them there in certain cases. So when it comes to then that defining, I guess, that line, when we talk shared responsibility in terms of cloud, and mm-hmm. do, you, do you find that to be well understood with these organizations? Or is that like a conversation that you're you're having to get into with a lot of them still where they don't even, maybe they've got different expectations of what cloud providers should be doing than what you know, cloud providers are actually offering in terms of you know, whether it's management of the environment or the security of the environment or whatnot.
2: Surprisingly, I think a lot of um, a lot of organizations are, are pretty. You know, they understand the nuts and bolts of cloud, and so I, um, you know, I don't, I don't typically have to do a lot of education in those in that regard, right? So it's. Um, it, it tends to be more on the edges, right? Where where you have uh, maybe higher up the stack type applications, software as a service, uh, or where customers may want to um, to offload more of the operational responsibilities. So so typically, a lot of the the larger companies recognize you know their business isn't about managing IT. Their business is about you know man, managing a bank or or making cars, or or what have you, and so you know they're very interested in not only moving to the cloud, they're also interested in partnering with a company that can um, you know, that can help uh, you know both manage that transformation, but also manage the IT ongoing. So, um, you know, it, it's often in context of of a of a partner as
1: well. Gotcha. So understanding their business then kind of becomes key because a lot of times they're they're asking you to to take on a little bit more of maybe a I, I guess an operational role or something you're going to have to understand what it is that is meaningful to their business and how do you kind of prioritize those efforts?
2: Yeah, yeah, and um, you know certainly I, I, IBM used to be big into that part of the the business prior to our, our divestiture of, of a company now is, that's named Kindrel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're still a big, they're still a very large partner of ours and we, we love them. And and I think hopefully they love us and, mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, you know, our, our joint customers hopefully love us both.
1: Cool. So how does one end up becoming the CISO of, you know, IBM cloud, right? I mean, it's, I think there's a lot of people out there who watch this show who maybe have aspirations or maybe just wonder, like, how do, how do I even end up in a role like that? So now we're asking about origin stories, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, so certainly um, luck in, in being in the right spot at the right time has a lot to do with it. I'm not going to lie about that at all. Um, but for me, you know, I, I started off, um, didn't have really any aspirations to be in IT. I, um, you know, I, I, I wasn't in a financially sound place uh, as I was growing up and really couldn't afford to go to college. I, I started working out of school, uh, out of high school. I did attend a little bit of college, but ran out of, ran out of cash. So I started working at a factory and I I learned an incredible amount at that job. It was a, it was a really hard job, but I was there. I was the IT person for a factory and I, I kind of grew into that role. This was in the, you know, the very early 90s. Okay. And uh, you know, I I learned about networking, about programming, about system administration and it it's it kind of gave me a broad a broad understanding of it. Uh, and then from there, I went to uh, a small ISP, which was bought by a security company called internet security systems. And I, I, I rose up through the ranks there. And I was never really on a security trajectory. Uh, okay. at, at, that, at that point, I was more of on a CIO trajectory. Gotcha. And um, it wasn't until IBM bought Internet Security Systems that I, you know, for for a variety of reasons, I got tagged as the security guy, <laughs> and um, and you know, I was I was uh, it was challenged with a lot of different uh, roles. One of the great things about IBM is, you know, that a it's just a it's a fantastic company, like it's the, the it's just a great place to work, and there are many many different types of. Uh, Types of opportunities, and I had a, had the good fortune of uh, in a lot of um, leaders who took me under the wing and exposed me to different things, including, you know, managing different aspects of regulatory programs, and you know, getting into security incident response and um, policy design and, uh, and and whatnot. And so, um, you know, and, and it's one of those deals where, like, in in hindsight, you can, I can kind of look back and see the. Like the rotational assignments that I was being given to prepare me ultimately for for the the you know what I what I what I got to, uh, but you know again it was right place at the right time. There was an opening, um, that the business unit that I was that, that I'm in now, you know they're again focused on um, th- these highly regulated institutions, and I have a lot of experience in Dealing with regulators from from my my prior experience, so um, you know, plus I've I've kind of gotten the um, you know the experience of of being a security leader. So it, it was a it was a bit of a natural fit. Um, by the way, I'm not saying that uh, you know that I'm the best CISO that that there ever was. It is a uh, it, it is something that I continue to learn every day.
1: Oh, I. I... if if somebody wants to to claim that title of best CISO that ever lived or something, please don't call me. I don't want you on the show (laughs) like anybody who would lay claim to that is probably one telling on themselves, but two, probably not the, uh, not the personality I want to hear from. I think if we're not all learning, that's, you know, and we don't believe that we're always learning, you know, we probably aren't doing a very good job. Um, So, you know, it, and it makes sense to me too. So, you know, being engaged in the, the cloud business at IBM for someone who was, as you said, kind of on that CIO track where it, it's definitely about the technology mm-hmm. and understanding, you know, how, to, how we build infrastructure and what drives different technology needs. I'd have to imagine that that plays into pretty well your position now where you're, you're, in, you're in charge of a cloud.
2: Yeah. yeah certainly so it, it was a fortuitous thing you know it was um for a long time i i've you know i've I've expected cloud is where a lot of the it industry is is headed and I know that that might be an unpopular position but you know we don't manage our own voicemail systems anymore we don't we don't have our own power plants and I think over time a lot of a lot of it a lot of corporate it is going to end up consolidated in the cloud and you know, it might not be as, um, you know, in in 50 years, it might not be as, you know, cutting edge and innovative as it is as it is today. But um, you know, I think that's where the industry is headed. And so, you know, from, from my perspective, it's always been something I've been really interested in because I've, I've, I've since I got into IT leadership back in internet security systems, like I I could see that end destination. I you know I had no idea how far away it is. But, uh, but to be part of it is just super exciting.
1: Well, there was kind of a natural progression of it, too, right? Like you saw these companies that had big data centers. Then they started, you know, paying third parties to host their data centers. Then it got into colo situations. And it, it did sort of progress all through like the 90s and early 2000s, it felt like to me. But um, so, you know... Y- I, I kind of had a laugh because you said the same thing that I've heard from so many security people at all in all directions, right. Is, well, I kind of got here by accident. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I, my version of that is I tell people, yeah, it was like a series of serendipitous events. Like there was, you know, it, happy little accidents happen, but I think, and, and let me know if you agree with this. I, I've, what I've tried to tell people, to you know, because I think people hear that and they're like, "Oh, well, you just you know, what if I don't get lucky? Then I'm you know, I, you know, I'm kind of screwed or whatever." I, I, I what I've been telling people is, I, I feel like it's everybody has the opportunity to get lucky at some point. Opportunities show up,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it not everybody recognizes it, or not everybody is always willing to to jump for it. And I think, you know, as as much as yes, there are there are just circumstances that happen to us. It's what you do when those circumstances happen oftentimes that really drives whether or not, you know, you, you kind of progress to where you want to go or not. I mean, how do you feel? I mean, am I on the right track with this or am I nuts? Hundred
2: hundred hundred percent. I mean, no, no, look, I'm not going to say, you know, look, the reality is there's millions of people in IT and- there are a far fewer number of CIO and CISO jobs out there, so like obviously not every one of us is going is going to get a job like that. But I think you said it you said it pretty well. Um, it, it, there, is, there is a lot to say about um, you know self management. I guess is, is one way to say it. But I you know one of the one of the things I always tell people that I mentor is to be the one that helps embrace change because in a lot of organizations, and and this is kind of what I think has worked for me, you know, businesses go through change, right? They they go through periods of rapid growth, through contraction, through, you know, diversifying, through consolidation, through acquisition and divestiture and, you know, being, part of that in, in supporting the mission rather than uh, resisting it, I think is a huge, you know, di- a huge differentiator of um, people that the that, that senior leaders see as uh, as leaders versus, you know, just more you know, worker bees, I guess. And, and I, that has, uh, I, I think worked worked for me pretty well, just helping helping to embrace and drive that change, facilitate the change, um, and, and as, you know, as, as well as kind of much more boring things like you know live up to your uh, your um, your promises, like do do what you say and say what you do. It's it's uh, some some pretty boring basics that just uh, <laughs> that that are are uh, are pretty important.
1: Yeah, and I mean I don't want to discount either that there you know some people struggle you know, have more obstacles in their path, let me put it that mm-hmm. way, than others, right? I mean, and, and don't anyone who I'm seeing you're saying, like, everybody gets their lucky breaks and whatever. I understand and fully acknowledge that for some people, you get more than others in terms of those opportunities, those l- lucky breaks. But what you said that I loved is this idea of, you know, help the organization embrace change. Because as, you know, I I... I think it's pretty commonly understood now that if an organization doesn't continue and evolve and innovate and do new things, they kind of die and fall behind. And they're probably in the opposite order they fall behind and then die. But um you know it but it's hard when organizations try to change because you do have people who are established in a way and they want to defend a way that things have been done. And when you can be that person that helps something change and you can be the advocate for a change that's meaningful and expands the business somehow or grows the organization or creates some new innovative product, you sort of become the face of that. And you're the one that people will remember so, later on.
2: a 100 percent. Right. Yep.
1: So I mean, I've I've man, I wish I had interviewed you before I wrote the book. Uh, Because that is something, I mean, if anybody, if you're out there watching and you're thinking about how to progress your career, if there's anything at all you want to latch onto from this episode, that's the thing. Um, I feel like that is probably one of the, a a great nugget. I've never really thought of it that way before. Um, But you also mentioned that there's a finite number of CIO and CISO positions out there that is much smaller than the number of IT professionals. Mm. And the one thing I thought about that, and I'm, I'm kind of curious, how did you decide that that type of role, management role, leadership role, you know, especially executive role, how did you make the decision that was right for you or where you wanted to go?
2: Uh, You know, I I would love to say that it was the product of a lot of, you know, contemplation and, and, uh, you know, self introspection, but it was, it was not, it was sheer giddiness when somebody, you know, uh, made the uh, the opportunity available to me. Um, And, you know, look, it is, it is an interesting thing especially when you, t- when you make the jump to management and then you, you start working your way up uh, the executive ranks, you do make trade-offs and you make some significant trade-offs, right? I mean, from, from um, obviously the rewards are good. Like I, I cannot complain about pay in any way, um, but you, you trade off aspects of your life. You trade off family time, um, you trade off hobbies, you trade off many things. One of the th- the hardest things for me to trade off was being technical. Oh. Right. And, 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 and candidly, this kind of folds back to why there is an infosec that exchange.
1: Okay. Because, now I'm curious. Is this I want to hear.
2: Because oh, I, um, you know, I felt I felt like that part of my brain was atrophying. And and, so so I, um, you know, I, I gave my that is it is my tie to technology. And and by the way, I think that's a virtuous thing. Because if you know, if you if you you spend all of your time in leadership, and, and obviously, when you when you go up the executive ranks, you have to continue to hone your abilities there, right? I mean, that it, it's a it's a career, it requires skills just like any other job and, and you have to get better at those. But I, I really think from a CISO's perspective, um, it's important to have a deep understanding and continue to have a deep understanding of like that technology and not get too far away for a variety of reasons. One is so like, you know, at the end of the day, like the buck stops with you. Like when you're a CISO, the buck stops with you. People say that, you know, all hell breaks loose. Who are they going to come and talk to you? Right. (laughs) They come and talk to you. You you really have to, you really have to have a a deep understanding of technology. You can't always punt to, um, you know, to, to the, to the people under you. You have, you, you have to have an understanding. And so, that's, uh, that's my way of doing that. And you know, one of one of the reasons I do it. The other reason I do it is I just love the community aspect and I feel like uh, feel like I'm making a difference. But you know, that that's how it started at least. I mean, infosec.exchange started about, gosh, it's almost six years ago. And um, you know, that was long before I was a CISO, was mm-hmm. and and so, uh, but I was an executive at the time, and I felt myself becoming, kind of floating away from technology.
1: Yeah. No, and I hear that. I love this because there's a the trade-offs, first of all, are something I'm glad you highlighted. Because I think and it, it's kind of our own fault, I think, because we don't do there's not a great like career progression map for cybersecurity. But you know, there's a lot of people in cybersecurity who just by de facto, I guess Believe that okay. Well, after I get to a certain level, I have to go into management if I want to keep progressing. And I I think it's important that people understand that you you know becoming this uh, a CISO or any executive level title isn't necessarily the you know the the foregone conclusion or the measure of success. It might be, but Correct. there's there are specific skills that are very different than you're doing in you know if if you're you know working in the technology day to day, it's a very different skill set. And, you know, and so I, I I try to highlight that for people that, that you don't have to go into management to keep accelerating. I mean, there are some people out there, um, you know, security architects, I know who are making as much as I am as a CISO. And Mm -hmm. it's because they've been in it a long time, they know all the different technology. And so there are those career paths to go that don't have to end in management.
2: That's right. It's about the value that you add to the business. Absolutely.
1: So I I guess where I want to go from there then is, you know, you mentioned InfoSec, that exchange. And, you know, you said you started it six years ago. It was, it's been there. I don't know how, how uh, populated it was per se, but... <laughs> Obviously, in the last six months, it has changed immensely. So kind of what has that even been like you know, as, as Twitter kind of went the way it went with a, a certain unnamed individual who's taken over and made some decisions? Um,
2: <laughs> what's it's, it's been fascinating. Um, it has been absolutely fascinating. So for the first five years, we had um, – I don't know. I think there were something around three thousand accounts had been created, but there were less than two hundred people active in any given month. So it was was really, really sparse. I ran it in a in a, a V a VPS that cost me a couple hundred bucks a year, and um, you know it was fine. I, I kept up with with a, a small community of people. It, it kind of scratched my technology itch, mm-hmm. and um, and then you know fast forward to you know right around this time last year when the news broke about you know uh, about uh, the potential acquisition of of Twitter and there was a there was a, a an initial exodus to uh, to Exchange at that time, and it killed my VPS. <laughs> <It> just, <laughs> It's it swamped my boat and uh, and and I ended up having to 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 buy what I call a big boy server and um I I uh, it was it was a server at the time I thought by the way that I would never outgrow you know it was it was uh, you know it was thirty two core one hundred twenty eight gig NVMe S- SSDs and it was a you know significant piece of hardware uh, and then uh, you know. Fast forward uh, to October, late October. I was uh, I was working from my place at the beach and um, my phone started going bananas. I have the Twitter uh, alerts set up on my phone and it just started going crazy. And I was on a meeting and I, I couldn't look at my phone for a while. I Eventually I looked at it and it was just like dozens and dozens and dozens of mentions from Twitter. And there was people. Um, referring each other to infosec.exchange that exchange and mentioning me and I looked at uh, you know went and looked at, at the Mastodon instance and you know there were we went we went up by a couple of thousand people in the first day and then you know, another thousand or two the second day and that was pretty cool the server was doing great no problem. I was was uh, excited to see it and and um, fairly encouraging of it I had no idea, how many people would ultimately move though <laughs> <laughs> and so about the about a week in to two to three thousand people joining per day i started to realize i was in trouble <laughs>
1: <laughs> i can only imagine i mean it was, i think of just the 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 happy horror of Holy crap! Millions of people are joining my. Holy crap! Millions holy of people crap. are joining <laughs> my instance. <laughs>
2: that was that was exactly uh, my my predicament, and so um so I got to spend a lot of quality time when I wasn't working, uh, so the middle of the night, weekends, whatnot. I actually took some time off of work, and I learned a lot more about scaling Linux, and I learned a lot more about. How Mastodon is built and how to scale it out, and um, you know, I spent a lot of effort and money in, um, in in scaling this thing up, and you know, we 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 had a couple of little rough spots, but you know, my the, the the objective I set out for myself, other than just you know figuring out how to do it, like the technical challenge of having of, of figuring out how to do this was so cool to me, but um, I really wanted. Uh, I, I mean i loved I love the community that is on um on the fediverse and Mastodon and i've I've loved it since before before this this episode and I wanted uh, you know I, I i i I wanted that feeling for other people in the in the security community and so i I wanted to be the front door for people who wanted to leave Twitter and go somewhere else and to have a landing spot that just worked and and was you know not drama free. It just it just worked, and you know the, the the reality of of Mastodon and the Fediverse is that you know it's highly decentralized. It's federated. That's why it's called the Fediverse. And I know that people aren't going to stay. Right? They're they're going to pick up and move to other instances. They're going to start their own instance. You know. Um, uh, Kevin Beaumont, for example, started his his own. He he initially came over and started his own, and 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 that is the beauty of it, right? And so so for me, it was was all about um, trying to keep that community intact.
1: Yeah, well, and it's interesting to me because like. You know, I, well, I was on an earlier instance and it never, yeah, no way it was there. And then all of a sudden, I think for me, it was Leslie Carhart, you know, tweeted something about, hey, we're all going to InfoSec Exchange. And I'm like, I'm there, you know, if that's what we're doing to get away from Musk, I'm, I'm on it. And, um, you know, but I heard a lot of people say, well, it's just like IRC. And I was like, no, this isn't like IRC. This is nothing like IRC. But I'll tell you what. As I've gotten more used to the the uh, how the Fediverse works and the uh, you know the federated instances, and I start to see what people mean, because does it operate the same way? No, no IRC. You had like for me, it was Undernet, and you know a bunch of different channels I could join and whatever, but individual channels could be secured and not talk to each other, and you know you just. And so it's different in that sense, but I think that overall decentralized nature of it is what people are referring to. And Mm -hmm. to me, it's almost like, I think Mastodon, as I've seen it thus far, maybe this is me being optimistic and idealistic, but it's the closest we've come to what we all thought the internet was going to be back in the 90s when this thing first came to us. And we were all excited because it was this whole new world of whatever, um, and I think people kind of forgot on Twitter why we all originally gravitated to Twitter because Twitter started to do things that we didn't originally want to deal with, like paid ads and mm-hmm. you know, the infamous algorithm and all that kind of stuff, things that you know Mastodon has doesn't do. Right. And I think that that's you know, now we've 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 started to see like, oh yeah. The people who are on, you know, Mastodon now, I think, are the ones who are realizing, like, yeah, this was what we always liked when back in the day with Twitter, if you will. And so, I assume for you, then, you know, because that that love of the community is also something that speaks deeply to me. I assume that this has got to be, you know, a, a kind of a proud moment in in that sense for you to be able to be just one part of. You know this thing that has happened now.
2: I I don't know if it's if it's proud as much as honored. Like just to be part of that is has been just one of the coolest things I've. You know, obviously I have kids and I'm married and whatnot. So so those are those are obviously above. (laughs) But been one of the coolest things that I've been part of. And and I um, I'm so happy to have been uh, you know been part of keeping the community coalesced and it's so cool to watch people converse and, and ideas form and and uh, connections be made and people sharing you know job leads and I mean it's such a it's just an awesome thing and and uh, to, to have the ability to be part of that is is uh, is just a big honor.
1: Well, we've had a number of people pop up and thank you. And I'm going to share my own thanks because truly for me as well, I mean, th- this community means a lot to me. I grew up in the the IRC days. I didn't get into BBS so much, but I was, you know, I was in the hacker rooms on IRC and, and, you know, that was my teenage years for me. And so, of course, you know, years when I was pretty awkward and whatever anyway and that's where i learned to really appreciate the security community or what eventually became part of the security community and so you know for me it's been great having that feel come back with with mastodon so little side note to just say really really appreciate it um it is, you know, it, it, it has been a, a good refuge for a lot of people. I just talk, well, hell I'll, I'm not supposed to do this. You're never supposed to talk about what you talked about before the show, but Hey, you know what? Newsflash. We talked before the show. Um, you know, you and I were talking about just every time now that I still get sucked back to Twitter, I it, it, trying to stay away from things like the trending topics, because you just know there's going to be some doom scrolling moment in there. That's going to suck you it's in. The rage machine. Yeah. And that's, and that's the problem with the algorithms, right? Is that's what they're designed to do is to reward those things that get people fired up and screaming at each other. And I think it probably has a lot to do with why maybe some of our, you know, other societal discourse goes the way it does.
2: 100%. And so I think I've seen, I've seen and talked with a lot of people that have made the move from Twitter to Mastodon. And then some have moved back. And, you know, one of the, some people love, absolutely love the, you know, the, the, I mean, the fact that it's chronological, I guess, is a, is an algorithm to so to speak, but yeah. there's a lot of people who really appreciate that, you know, it is on Mastodon, it's based, it's time-based, right. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the timelines are solely driven by, Time, there's no, there's no, um, there's no attempt to to show you things that that, that some algorithm thinks that you might engage with. Uh, but on the other hand, there are people who um, who clearly like that, and oh. um, and and, um, and and the fact that it isn't there, they feel like they're missing out. And and so you know, I again, I've seen people you know move back, but. For the people that are there, um, I think it is the right place, right? Yeah. It is – and that's what's, that's what's so awesome about it is the community of people that are formed that, – that have formed there, they, they want to be there and they like it.
1: No, and that's – and I the FOMO thing, I will admit. You know, it, it took me a little while to – I realized how conditioned I got by Twitter. And then I started to think back on I remember living through the days of Twitter as – the algorithm slowly started to take over more and more. And more often, you know, my timeline made less and less sense to me because it wasn't chronological. And I would all of a sudden get a tweet in my timeline that was like five days old. And I'm like, why am I seeing this? Oh, because, you know, it's got a few hundred thousand likes on it now. So it's showing up again. And so it does, you know, there was a moment there where I felt like, oh, damn it, I got to be like watching this thing every minute. But then you start to figure it out and you start to figure out, well, I can use hashtags. I know the people I want to hear from. I can scroll back. I can set up alerts. I can do all the things so that I see the information I want to see when I want to see it. But it, the timeline makes more sense when it is just chronological because I, I can follow that. I know why I'm seeing something. And so I, I think that that's to your point, though. I, I think so many people have gotten conditioned by social media platforms. And it doesn't matter if we're talking Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, they all do it. And Mastodon Mm -hmm. is the only one I know of that does it. Yeah, I I
2: suspect. I don't, obviously, I have no metrics or no way of of proving this, but at least for me, I I spend less time like browsing Mastodon, browsing timelines on Mastodon. And so, you know, to that end, I think you know maybe there is a there is a an adjunct benefit of like we it gets us back into the real world a little bit more than than you know because again twitter and facebook and all the others like they they are engineered intentionally engineered to keep you you know looking at that app for as long as possible yeah
1: that's what gets some ad revenue. That's the whole point of it, right? I mean,
2: it's, we what don't they have s- that. There's no, there's no like. I have no. Um, I, love, I, love it. I have no. I have no uh, like metrics. I don't have people asking me how many. You know, was there more people or less people that visited the site last month? Like, I don't care. the The only metric I have is like, are people enjoying themselves? And. <laughs> And say, yeah. are, are they having a good time? Or are they, are they learning or, you know, are, and and am, am I doing a good job at being a, a host? That's like, that's my, that's my bar.
1: So I do want to point out because we have the opportunity right now that to that end, it's not supported by ads. It is supported by ultimately you, but people have a way to help support that. So can you please share that? Because I am a contributor, and I would like other people to understand that they can be a contributor and help as well.
2: Absolutely, thank you for saying that. It is it is supported by donations, and um, you know I've been adding lots of other services. So like we've we've got a, a video service and a picture service and a blog, and and I keep adding more things, and and so I'm trying to, um, you know, I'm trying to build out the community here. And so it, is, it does cost uh, quite a lot of money. Um, I have a couple of different ways to that you can uh, support. I have uh, uh, a Patreon. So it's uh, patreon.com slash infosec exchange. Uh, there's a, a Ko-Fi and I, uh, I'm i blanking on the link because uh, I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't ready for that. And then, uh, and then also PayPal is my email address. Jerry at infosec.exchange is my, my, my PayPal address.
1: Okay. I mean, so yeah, I apologize that I surprised you with that, but it, it, to me, it's important. No, no, thank because, you. you. know, again, this has, as you know, was being mentioned here in the comments, this has become a haven for so many people that, you know, it, it, it's important that, hey, you know, if, if you can, if you're able, please do go help and, you know, be become a contributor. I think I use the LibrePay, that's another one that's out there. Oh, yeah, um, the LibrePay. See if I can do this. Uh, this should, uh, maybe, yes, there we go. Um, I know how to use streamer. So there's the Ko-Fi link. Um, otherwise just go to Jerry's page, you know, add Jerry on infosec.exchange, um, and check it out. So the last thing, one final plug, because we are, wow, we're running over on time, but that's okay. Um, I want to talk about your podcast really quick, um, defensive security podcast. And so tell us just a little bit about that. What, what, you know, who are your guests? What do you talk about?
2: Yeah. So it's, um, it, we, we really don't have guests. It's a, it's a, it's a good friend of mine, uh, Andy Kellett and I, uh, he, he and I have, um, we go back a long, 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 long time. And um, we basically talk about uh, primarily what, what there is to learn about recent happenings in the security world. So, um, I, I started it back in in 2011 2012 timeframe when when there was a, a lot of stuff happening in industry like the Aurora attack had just happened and mm-hmm. and, and you know at the time the I, I was just getting into podcasts and um it occurred to me like all the podcasts were were especially in, in the security world were like morning zoo radio shows yeah you know, they, they they were um like it it just seemed like there was something missing and and a lot of them were very offensive focused, like, you know, Mm -hmm. for, for pen testers, red teams, and which is all good stuff. I mean, they were very entertaining and I learned a a bunch, no knock on them, but it it struck me that there was a miss, there was something missing. Like we weren't talking about how to defend networks better. And, and so um, that was something that I just, again, said on myself and, and from a, from a security perspective like that i think is also one of the things that helped me the most in my career was um into getting to where i'm at right now it forced me on a on a like daily basis to look at what has happened in the world and then kind of game out well what happened and you know what could have been done different and and by the way for the most part, you never know what what actually happened because right. you know it's you, you get you get headlines and not a lot else. Sometimes you do get congressional hearings and you see the the guts of of what happened, but it, it's um it's that analysis and and hypothesizing and whatnot that I think. Um, it's been both helpful helpful to me, but also I think helpful to the the you know the listeners because as I've heard from many of the the, the the listeners of the show, it's um it's helped them to you know to form their way of thinking in uh you know in in, in how they they they, uh, they think about security. So okay. uh, again, another another awesome uh, thing that I've I've been able to be part of.
1: Absolutely. So again, folks, go to Jerry's uh, infosec.exchange profile. The link is in there for that podcast as well, and be sure to check it out. Um, so as I mentioned, we are at time and and then some. So, um, But Jerry, I mean, we could probably go on for, for who knows how long, but really appreciate you coming on the show. I think this has been a really good conversation. I, you know, again, personally can't thank you enough and i'm seeing you know our our viewers are are thanking you as well for you know for building what has become a refuge for many of us and keeping that thing going so it's uh, my
2: pleasure thank you awesome
1: so with that folks we gotta go gotta let you go another great episode another amazing guest but uh we'll be back Again, with more guests in the future, you know, I've got a bunch lined up. i got some really cool guests coming up. Well, all of my guests are amazing. But no, lots of good of stuff on the horizon. So keep coming back. We'll keep letting you know when new shows are airing. We're here on the Wednesdays. You know the time, you know the place. Keep coming back for Security Bridges, and we'll see you next time.
0: cybersecurity and society.